How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <clears throat> wow, I, I don't think I've I don't think I've heard that um, that inflection before. Well, you know, Dr. Joe, I uh, am clearing through a cold. Remember the common cold? Yeah. yeah. Well, I went through that last week, so there's still a little of that cold floating around in my throat, if you will. Well, I I don't want to edit that out because I really <laughs> appreciate the way you brought Should that. We do out. it again. Should we do it again? No, no, absolutely not. We're not doing it again. We we are sticking with uh, with that and uh, authentic. authentic, the authentic frog in my throat. Yeah. It does make me think of the guy who who discovered penicillin, though. <laughs> that was Fleming. Um, so, um, how have you been doing? I hope your cold is a little bit better. Yeah, I did totally through it, but you know, it's uh, one of those things. It just kind of lingers. It feels like, but I feel fine. I feel great actually compared to a few days ago where I oh, didn't feel as great. I'm glad you're doing better. You know, you're you're able to to bring up all this stuff. But it, yeah, very like, real way. But um, but but it it is an interesting um phenomenon how the common cold is so very different now than it was uh three short years ago. It's very and how you react to it and how you behave as a cold holder, right? You're um you're much more aware of others now. Yeah, absolutely. Common cold. And 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 pretty much everyone, you know, if they get a cold, they they do a COVID test at home and be sure that they're they're not uh, positive, which can be negative. It's more positive when you're negative. It's oh isn't boy. Weirdest, here we go. No, but isn't that the weirdest thing? And what's changed in our world that when you're negative, that's positive, yeah. and when you're positive, that's negative. I don't understand. Anyway, uh, Tom, how have you been doing? Doing pretty good, Dr. Joe. Uh, I mentioned last week that I've been reading through the Dune novels, and man, I've never read these many novels consecutive, consecutively in a row, because sometimes I'll just have nonfiction, fiction, just kind of like sandwich it. But I've just been so hooked reading the first prequels about the Butlerian Jihad, which if you're a fan of Dune, that's that's the the dark, very dark era that, man, three books of like 600 pages, it'll put you in a bad mood. But by the end of this year, I will finish the Dune series, which the chronology of it, uh, Frank Herbert died before he could finish the story, but mm -hmm. his son completed it. So before the year's out, I will have finished the entire Dune saga and will know how it ended. And just to have to walk away from that, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared from it. Yeah, it's going to be something. It sounds like you, you're really married to these books. Yeah, it's a deep connection. Yeah, which is very different than what our author is going to be talking about, almost the opposite. So with that in mind, Tom, could you introduce our guest for tonight? Absolutely, Dr. Joe. Tonight we have Don Deus. Don Deus is a freelance writer and designer. Her previous books, including The Shit No One Tells You, The Shit No One Tells You About Pregnancy, The Shit No One Tells You About Toddlers, This No One Tells You About Baby Number Two, and The Oh, sorry. The Non-Runners Marathon Guide for Women <laughs> were published by Seal Press, have topped Amazon.com bestseller lists, and have been featured by countless TV and print media sources. Her uniquely sarcastic yet inspiring tone has entertained and guided an enthusiastic core of readers towards their various ridiculous parenting and athletic goals. Don's most recent book, The Sh No One Tells You About Divorce, will be released in 2023. <laughs> Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. This is so much fun because I, I know the audience uh, on WHD has just heard beep. No one tells you about beep. <laughs> Great. Okay. Dawn, welcome. Welcome. Nice to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. That's a, that was a lot of, that was a lot of profanity. <laughs> My yeah. parents are so proud. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so true. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we got that all out. So yeah. 
Sorry, I, I'll I'll keep it together. Uh, so, so, tell us first. Tell us about yourself. Um, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Who are you, Dawn? <laughs> Who am I? Uh, well, for the purposes of our conversation, I am a <laughs> author. I've written a bunch of different books, as you mentioned. Um, I started writing probably about 15 years ago, and my first book was about training for a marathon if you are a lazy person. And then I did one about cycling, and then I had um, kids, and then I thought there's something that's funny to write about. And so I wrote my first um, book. Can I, I can I say yeah, it? Just, <laughs> They're gonna just beep it. Absolutely. I remember I had my kid and um I just had this title like swirling around in my head uh the no one tells you. My first book was called The Non-Runners Marathon Training Guide for Women. That was not my title, it was a title they came up with at the publisher. I think they wanted like every searchable term in the world in the title <laughs> and say, Hey, they changed my original title. And so I was like, I don't know much about what this book is going to be, but I know this is going to be a title and it's going to do really well because it's just the thought that goes to your head when you have your first baby, like there's so much stuff no one told me. And so that book did really well and connected with new moms really well. Um, so I just kept writing in that genre and then fast forward and I got a divorce and so I thought I would write about divorce, decidedly less entertaining than babies. But um, yeah, so that book is out and here we are. That brings us to present day. Well, let's let's hear about the book. I will tell you before we hear about what my mother said, because my mother got divorced and she used to say she was a divorcee, but always wanted to be a widow. <laughs> so it was the Francis Ran that was her her line. So uh, yeah. <laughs> tell us tell us about the book. Um it's it's different than anything I've ever written. I've written mostly kind of nonfiction humor. My books have always had a lot of heart in them because you know they're about subjects like taking on big challenges, whether that be training for a marathon or raising tiny humans. But ultimately, I've always kind of tried to find the humor and the ridiculousness of those situations. And um, taking on divorce was just a different beast. You know, I I wrote it not that long after my divorce. So I was very conscious of the fact that I was writing in permanent ink. Mm. And during a time when I probably shouldn't have been, <laughs> you know, like I, I was very aware that like you write and that it doesn't come out for a year. And then it sits on bookshelves for years and years and years and years. My first ship book, it just got reissued. I think it's been nine years, 10 years. And I was reading it again. And it's cool because it's like a little time capsule. Um, but some of the parts of it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of harsh because I wrote it when I was still kind of in the thick of babies. Mm -hmm. um, so I just I'm very aware that that can happen. And so I tried to be conscious of that while writing this book because it's it's not just my story really, you know, it's other people's story. And so it's one thing to, to bear your own soul, but when that, that story touches other people and other people are part of that story and those people are still in your life, <laughs> you know, you have to be really conscious of that. So there was a lot of um, editing and writing and writing and editing and cutting and cutting and cutting. And my editor sending me stuff back with like, this is great and we can't use any of it. <laughs> so <laughs> glad you got that out. Um, so yeah, it was very therapeutic, but then I'm, I, I kind of, it's, it's sort of all over the map, which is sort of how divorce is, you know, it's got some chapters that are really funny. It's got some chapters that are really sad. It's got some chapters that have, well, pretty much all the chapters have a lot of profanity in them more than I've ever had in any book, but it just felt like it's written for people in a certain time in their life when profanity seems very appropriate. So um, that's kind of the book, you know? I mean, there's harsh, but there's also honest. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I read it now and I'm like, because I'm so far beyond who, we, who I even was a year ago when I wrote it. But I said that I wrote it for people who are in their meantime. In the meantime, a divorce for me was like I had these friends who were a couple years ahead of me on their divorce timelines. And they would always be like, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And this is during like just the chaos of the explosion of my life. And I knew like 
logically, I'm not stupid. I knew it was going to be fine, but I would kept, kept saying to them like, yeah, okay, that's awesome. But like, what do I do in the meantime? Like that time between things blowing up and things settling into a new normal and not feeling like it's new, it's just normal, you know? And so it's written for those people who are in that kind of chaotic explosion time as sort of a, you know, I've been there and keep going and it's gonna, it's gonna get better, I promise you. But also like, it's crappy right now. And I acknowledge that and you should acknowledge it and it's okay. It's okay if it's crappy, it's supposed to be, it's gonna be, and then it's gonna be okay. Yeah. I, th- I suppose if it wasn't crappy, that might even be worse in some ways, you know? I think sometimes people, and I, I did this too, in a certain extent too, you do a lot of numbing and a lot of sidestepping and a lot of keeping yourself busy. And a lot of people get into relationships real quick and they're just looking for another person to sort of band-aid their broken parts. Um, and what you really have to do is just actually do the work to figure out what happened, how can you do better in the future, own your part in it, and figure out just how you can be better, and then get to a place of grace for yourself and your ex, especially if you're co-parenting. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the sequence of books is really talking about your life and how things have gone from one place to the other. What's that been like for you to to share that with the world? It's been interesting. It's 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 fun in that like I can read these books that I wrote and they are all time capsules you know and it's it's intimidating to write books that are about your life about your heart and special and specific circumstances but then it's actually really cool to look back and see this is who I was 15 years ago this is who I was 10 years ago this is who I was when my kids were babies this is who I was when I was going through my divorce it's vulnerable but it's actually really it's, it's, I don't know many people, I mean, I guess you have your journals, right? It's kind of the same thing as reading a journal, although this isn't, I did a lot of editing. <laughs> it probably would, you know, it would be in a journal, but um, it's, you just get to see different versions of yourself. And that's pretty cool. And an evolution of who you are and who you wanted to be and who you became. And it's kind of fun. I think for my kids, it might be fun someday to read and see who their mom was at different periods in her life. And I was super conscious of that when writing this book. You know, my kids are going to read this someday. Maybe. I don't know if they'll, <laughs> they'll care. But I, I would care if my mom wrote a book and I could read it in 20 years, you know, be interesting. So for them, I think it could be interesting, too, to see who I was and who I became and all that. Mm. Talking about uh divorce but but tom off air you would uh you had a comment as well well yeah so uh i haven't been divorced yet but i have also <laughs> never run a marathon yet but i also hate running because <laughs> it, it is quite painful i'm 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 still i've lost a lot of weight over the years but i am still quite heavy and quite tall so i was thinking like i can walk pretty fast is yeah, there precedent I, of walking marathons? I don't know. I think for me, marathon training it had nothing to do with the physical aspect of it. I did it when I was like, I was so young. I was just a baby. I think I was like 25. But the what I got out of training for a marathon helped me for the rest of my life because it it's just about setting a goal for yourself and then backing out to mile one and mm. figuring out how to get to my own like you just you said I could I could walk a marathon yeah you you could probably today it probably would hurt quite a bit um there's a training aspect that can that's where you're going to get the value of marathon training is finding a training plan and then being like I'm going to walk five miles a day and then seven miles in a week and then 11 and then 13 it's the it's the training 15 miles I'll take 15 mile walks like every other night sometimes when I have a night free yeah well, there you go. And then there's something about what it requires of your brain to just be with itself for 15 miles. You know, for me, it it was almost meditative because it got me doing this into a state of, I mean, it was also, there's a, a pain aspect that I was having to like push through just my general dislike for movement of any sort, especially running. But um, 
yeah, it, it shifts your brain a little bit. The, the ability to concentrate and be with your own thoughts for 15, 20, 25 miles. I don't and know. Just, I think it's definitely doable and there's value in it too. And just knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, you'll be in your own bed. <laughs> that was what I always, running was just always just, I called it running in circles because wherever I started, I always ended there. And I was just like, I never even gotten anywhere. Like I just ran 16 miles. I'm back in my damn car. You know, like every once in a while, there was a race that started someplace and ended someplace. Those were good. There was one that started at one Mexican restaurant and ended at another Mexican restaurant. That was my favorite. The chips and salsa at the end. I'm like, this is what we need for me to be excited about this sport. But yeah, I mean, moving your body is never a bad idea. Yeah. You said that that it, the training has stuck with you and you've learned something from it. What, what have you retained from that? I was so young when I did it and I was always, I've always been a real big dreamer. And I, up until that point, I wasn't a big follow throughher. Mm. So I would have really big dreams and then get really bored, you know, like I'd start, yay. And then be like, yeah, this is boring and then quit. And with the training, it was a fundraiser. And so people like sponsored me or whatever. And so I felt obligated to actually finish doing the thing. And it was in memory of my grandfather who passed away. And so it was for the stroke association and you know he could have never done anything like that physically so it was like in his honor there's all these reasons i put in place why i couldn't quit <laughs> so i didn't and it just taught me about tackling really big goals and it wasn't long after that that i you know wrote my first book because you how do you write a book i always wanted to write a book right everybody wants to write a book what do you what do you have to do for that for nonfiction? you have to write a book proposal so I wrote a book proposal, then I found an agent, and then we rewrote the book proposal. Like you find these big goals and you back out to, to mile one and figure out the steps you need to take to get to those big goals and then just do them. And they're not going to be fun. You're going to get bored, but just keep pushing. And so over and over and over again in my life, I was able to apply that strategy. And I feel really lucky that I came across it at age 25 or whenever, early 20s. I don't know. I was mm -hmm. a baby. Hmm. Mark, I'm just wondering that, that that idea of setting the goals. Mark is a real estate lawyer. Um, is that something that that you would recommend to people regarding that? With respect to real how to buy or, yeah, buying a house, but setting. I mean, it's it's such an important topic, not just buying a everything. House. I mean, this is a topic yeah. that we could go on for hours about, yeah. especially now in the new year, right? Everybody's setting new goals, but it's but um, Don's so right. It's, you know, we talked about the big, hairy, audacious goal, right? The BHAG. It's way out there. Your North Star. But you can say it. You can put it out there. But how do you how do you get to it? Right. And it's it's eating the elephant. Right. How do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. But. Yeah, that's their tagline. Commit, then figure it out. And it, but it is, but it's, but it's like what Don's saying, it's, you know, you're not going to ride 200 miles the first time you get on your bicycle, you know, you're going to ride 10 and then 15, then 20, then 40, then two days in a row of 40. And, you know, there's a, there's a process to it, you know, and um, I, I mean, this is, I, I'm enthralled in this conversation because goal setting and, and, um, you know the progress is is it's so important in every aspect. It made me think of, of uh, you with the PMC. I know PMC. exactly what you're talking saying, about, like, Don. Commit you first, say, you know, figure you, it out. Second, you uh, you didn't have that follow through until you until you got to that point, and that's um, that's pretty cool that this that that had that much impact, and it seems like it it continues to have impact. Yeah, I mean. I've had so many people over the years ask me how to write a book and I tell them if it's nonfiction, I tell them steps to take. And I even say, if you finish your book proposal, I will show it to my agent. <laughs> and I don't think I've had even one person ever send me the book proposal. It's not glamorous. Right. And so a lot of times I tell people you have to like suss out why are they wanting to write a book? A lot of the times they just need to write a book. It's more therapeutic for them. So I said, just write the book, then get it out of you and get it onto paper. And that'll be valuable to you. You're probably not going to publish it, but that's okay. That's not what you're actually needing. But um, even with real estate, like I was interested in real estate and real estate, it's like always baffling to me that people, you know, don't buy more 
because it's not really that complicated. People get right. intimidated by it. And I think they get wrapped up in like, that's the house. It's going to be the house forever. And it's like, we, we would, um, we had a lot of rental properties when I was um, married and it was just fun. We, we like doing it, but you can always figure out ways, you know, get that down payment together, do this, do that, have your rental property that, that it's paying for itself. You go get another property and it's not as complicated as you have in your head, but you have to sit down and like, figure it out, get a spreadsheet. Spreadsheet never hurt anyone. So yeah, it's just, people get just, there's that quote, go the extra mile. There's not many people there. Like you won't like, it's just, just do the work. Then you'll be amazed what you can accomplish just by showing up every single day and and not giving up when it gets boring. It's all going to get boring, right? Everything gets boring or not as exciting, but you either want to do it or you don't. Okay. So I'm going to get bold here. If you don't mind, given what you just said and the book that you've just written, how do those things potentially connect? Was what, getting big goals and divorce? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe my divorce came from the fact that I, I kind of want, and I want things. I I don't. I don't really settle. Like I'm always kind of, I want, I, I, I want that the best, you know, and that doesn't mean that everything needs to be perfect, but it also means that I'm not willing to settle for stuff that just doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. I, I think that you know, I, we built a really big life together. We both had, we both were big dreamers and we built two great careers. I probably, I think I wrote like five or six books when we were together. We bought six or seven properties. We built this huge life. And I think ultimately it was covering up the fact that we weren't happy together. And so we kept piling these goals and we'd get something and be like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And then you have to sit and just be still and be like, I'm not actually happy mm-hmm. just being still. And so what is life if you're not going after that next thing? You need to be able to be calm and be still and be happy and just nothing, you know? And so when you took away all the stuff that we accomplished, all these huge goals that we accomplished together, and we did very well at that, the base of who we were together was not happy, you know? And we, I think that's the ultimate goal, especially when you have kids. My ultimate goal for my kids is to provide them with a home that feels safe and happy and comfortable. And so they're modeling for them what home should feel like. And I think both me and my ex didn't have that great of a model growing up. And so on like being in an unhappy home was comfortable for us. And I really didn't want that for my kids. And that's what I was modeling for them. And so that's the biggest goal of all, right? To do better, to give your kids something better than you had and to model for them what it's supposed to feel like when you walk in your home, you know, and the feeling you're supposed to get in your gut instead of weariness or unease. It's, this is safe. This is a safe, happy place. And in order to provide that for them, we had to lose them 50% of the time. We each took them into two separate homes so they could be in happy homes all the time. You know, that's a big thing to get to losing your kids half the time so that you know that they're happy hundred percent of the time. Yeah. That's powerful. And and you, you alluded to to something about this is how you grew up. So was it, was it comfortable or familiar? Familiar, right? But then familiar can feel comfortable because it's just what you're used to. And so I think we both wanted to make sure that if our kids are ever in a situation like that, it feels prickly. It feels like this isn't how it's supposed to feel. You know, life and home. Home is not supposed to feel like this. I need to move on. You know, I've told that to them. I've been honest with them. They're 11 and 9. And I have this picture that I came across the other day of my face 
three years ago and then my face now I took this picture of myself because like a before photo for the skin cream I was going to take because you know the skin cream man <laughs> it's going to change your life right <laughs> so I took this before photo and I did I came across it because I was going through my Dropbox of photos and I like it I didn't even recognize myself and it sounds so cliche to say that but I was like holy Jesus my eyes were sunken I looked like a before picture of someone who got sober. Like, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I didn't change my diet in any way. I just left a situation that was not happy. And I showed that picture to them. I said, if you ever, if anything is ever making you feel like this, this unhappy, move on. Mm. You don't, and and I said, I stayed because I love you so much. And we were trying so much to make a family, this family work. And then my daughter was like, yeah. And then we were in a house with two people who were fighting. And I was like, exactly. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to us. Like, what were we doing? So I just, I want to be honest with them about like, there wasn't anybody at fault. You know, there was no bad guy. We just, we shouldn't be together. And so we're both very focused on providing for them a happy home. And we have now, they're just in two homes. So is it kind of like a guide? Is it a guidebook to help guide somebody through or is it simply a reflection? It's both, I think. Um, I think what I've done in a lot of my books is like kind of give my story is part of the story. And then I talk to other people that have been divorced and they offer their their points of view throughout. And then a lot of it is just, it's for reflection for the people who are reading it, I have a bunch of sections because I would talk, I talked to all these divorced people before I started writing. Cause really I was just like trying to get my head on straight and trying to find a through line. You know, I just, we, my story is pretty boring compared to other stories. And, you know, there's no infidelity. There's no abuse. There's no, it's just two people that just fell out of love, you know? And so what I was trying to talk to all these different people, figure out a through line And I would tell all of them, you know, I'm talking to you because I'm trying to like get my head straight. So I don't write a book full of chapters called F U U F F. Like I can't even say all the words. It's just F bombs everywhere, but they would all laugh and be like, I would read that book because (laughs) there's just that sentiment, right. Of like when you're first getting out of it, you're just like F U U F F. So I have rage journal chapters throughout the book with that title and they're kind of encouraging people to lean in to the rage portion of the program. There's like, you know, write down your version of the story. I had someone tell me recently, you know, I wrote this long letter and then I was going to give it to my ex. So he would know. I'm like, Oh no, don't, don't do that. (laughs) Like it's your version. You know, I was real caught up in that for a long time. My version and my ex's version and how they didn't line up and, it's two different stories. Like everybody's got their own version of the story. Right. So like write it down and leave it and keep on moving. Like just get it out, process it, and then keep on moving. You can't carry this stuff with you because it's just pointless, you know? So it's definitely for people in a certain period of time to acknowledge that it's crappy and it's chaotic and it's emotional, but it's temporary. It's a temporary state. If you allow it to be and keep going, keep moving through it, get yourself some therapy, rage journal, cuss a lot. Don't get, don't cut bangs. Don't do that. And then <laughs> keep it moving. Yeah. Don't cut bangs, Dr. Joe. Yeah. I'm... You either, Mark. I don't know what you look like <laughs> with bangs. You might I actually had... look cool with bangs. I had them like... one, at one point in time. I had them. <laughs> Just the bangs. Yeah, it's a look. Exactly. <laughs> it's the look. Like, like the look, like it's Angus Khan. Just the right. Oh my goodness, good stuff. Like a mohawk, but just on the front. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> Hairy situation. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> it, in in the book, it sounds like a lot. Obviously, a lot happens, but at one point, there's something about alarmed therapist that you alarmed therapist what what was that caught my eye <laughs> tell me about that I have a I have a therapy chapter and it's kind of about like when you can get therapy throughout the process 
and you can get therapy like before you decide to break up right after you break up and then when you've been broken up for a while and it's funny because it just kind of depends on where you are in your relationship where you actually are when you go to the couples therapy a lot of times I think you're going in and each person is hoping the therapist will take their side it's almost like a judge situation right so you're hoping the therapist be like yes you are 100% right and your <laughs> partner is an a-hole and that is it or do I need to like is there something I can sign so you go in and you're just like both making your cases and it's really not any if you're not there to actually solve anything you're just there to have a third party to validate your your yelling and so I think we went a couple times and the look of horror across this dude's face was like all you really needed to know about whether or not we needed to stay in therapy one or even together too. Cause they're just like, Oh, okay. Um, well, um, <laughs> and you're just like, all right, I think we're going to call this. I don't think I need to spend $150 to have you basically have a look of horror across your, your face because like, what are we doing? So, um, and then we had the same situation with a mediator who afterwards called me and was like, I'm not used to that kind of animosity. And I was like, this is literally what you do all day. You're a mediator. <laughs> like you're not exactly like working with kindergartners here. Like this is just your job is to work with people in hostile, like divorce situations. And we actually were notable enough for you to be like, whoa. <laughs> and that's when you're like, huh? All right. Well, I think it's a good idea that we're splitting up and um, let's just keep going with this. But yeah, it's um, and then I say, you know, as you get on in the process, you have to get to a point where you're going to therapy to get better instead of just getting validation or blaming your ex for everything. Like there's no, that's not work. That's just blame. And that's pointless. Like it, you, you, your ex could be a complete a-hole but what did you participated in this relationship and the only thing you can really do to grow is figure out how you participated what you allowed to happen what you contributed and then how you can do better moving forward that's it you know like you kind of got to leave the crap in the rear view mirror but acknowledge what you did or you're just going to keep doing the same stuff with the next person you know mm -hmm. if it's all the other person's fault it's not all the other person's fault. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it's not. And if it's always somebody else's fault, you're never in control. And if you're not in control, you're going to be angry, anxious, and sad all the time. Yeah, and that's a huge thing is you, that was a big thing for me getting like, because I am such a control freak. Like you can only, your, your ex is your ex for a reason, right? They're probably going to keep doing the same stuff they've always done. And when you have to co-parent with somebody that you broke up with, it's just a whole nother ball of craziness. Because like one of my friends said recently, her brother got divorced and had to work harder after divorce than they did when they were married. Because you have to come back to this table and you have to collaborate with this person. You have to redefine your relationship, redefine your communication and get to a place of grace with each other, or it's just not going to work. So instead of getting upset every time this person does the same crap they've been doing the whole time you've known them, you have to shift your reaction to them, right? You can't control them. You can only control your reaction to them. So that's where the piece has to come is just not letting it affect your nervous system anymore. They're still going to get there sometimes, but that's the ultimate goal. It sounds like the next book, Dawn. No one tells you about co-parenting. Like... Oh Lord, <laughs> I do have a couple of chapters in there. It's a, <laughs> it's a wild. It's it's been the most humbling and difficult experience of my life. You know, divorce is like I'm out, peace. I really thought divorce was an endpoint. I was so unhappy for so long. I thought it just in my mind was the end of the marathon, right? And then I get to the end of the marathon, and they're like, oh, by the way you get to run four more marathons and like you're exhausted emotionally and physically in every way possible from this relationship that has just wrung you out. And then you're like, you have to start this whole nother chapter. You're doing it that... with better skin though. Yeah. yeah with better skin. Tom's saying. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, 
it was a, it was a lot of work that I think I was so exhausted from the previous years that it was, it was not easy work, but you know, we're, we both love our kids more than anything on the planet. So like they're worth it. They're worth whatever work we need to do to be two adults who are putting them first. But you said that, that earlier as well, that, you know, in order to have your kids happy, they can only be with you half the time and then with their dad. So what is that like for you? Um, You know, I had a therapist at the beginning who likened divorce to the gr a grief process because they're like, you know, you're you're going to grieve. And I said, well, I don't think you're understanding how excited I am to be out of this relationship. <laughs> but because I had grieved the relationship years prior, you know, and but the thing that I wasn't expecting was the grief I was going to feel for having lost my children. And I didn't lose them. Everybody's like, you're going to lose your kids. Well, no, I didn't. But they're gone 50% of the time. And we split during COVID. So they had literally been with me 24 hours a day. And I lost them, you know, 50% of the time. It's just, it will never be a natural state to not be with my children. That's just not the gig, right? But I'm lucky because I'm co-parenting with someone that I know they're safe and they're loved. And it's the best situation for all of us. But the that was the grief process for me was the utter shattering of my heart to not be with them. Like the first time one of them got sick and I wasn't there, it was just, and you know, we've gotten to a place that like when one, when one of them's sick, the other, the, my co-parent can come over, I can go over there. And, but it's not the same as like, I'm going to be with you all night because you're sick, you know, like, it's just not the same to not be there to be the one that's comforting your kid when yeah. they're sick. It's, it's not right. It feels very, um, it has a, like empty nest vibes when you drop them off in, but they're way too young. <laughs> you're, it's not right. Like your brain's like, wait, this is too early. It's too early to be having empty nest vibes. I shouldn't be dropping them off and driving away. Right. I shouldn't be missing their life, but I am. And it's okay. I think two things can be, you know, the two things can exist at the same time. Two things can be true. It's the best case scenario for our scenario. And it's freaking heartbreaking at the yeah. same time. And, it's and that's okay. You know, a lot of people stay just for the kids and that is its own sort of heartbreak. They deserve more than to be the reason you're unhappy. You know, it also sounds like your kids had said that as well. That, you know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we're honest. We have good conversations about it. And um, I always want to be open with them. And they obviously want us all in the same house just for convenience sake. They're like, good Lord, moving back and forth. But they see how happy I am. They see how happy my ex is. They see like, it's just a different feeling in these homes now. And they know that it's good. So I think we've spoken quite a bit about maybe the breaking up and falling apart. What about the putting yourself back together? saying as you say here divorce isn't just a loss but an opportunity what do you have to say dawn um i remember when we were writing the book and coming up with the i knew what the title is going to be but they sent me the subhead and initially it was breaking up without falling apart and i was like huh that's not good because <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> fall apart like mm -hmm. there is i don't want anybody to feel like they're less than because they fell apart we're falling apart all the way apart um eventually you will and if you don't allow yourself to then it'll catch up with you by the way but um putting yourself back together i have a chapter in the book called new you and it i it had like big time you know midlife crisis vibes where i was kind of I, what I was doing at the time was trying to stay busy, right? Because I'd lost my kids half the time. And I was just trying to keep it moving, keep, stay busy, stay distracted, stay, stay, just, just, stay distracted. Um, so I was in a big, like, yes phase of just, sure. Yeah, we're going to try that. Sure, I'll try that, try this, try that. Any hobby that came my way, I was trying on and just basically just keeping myself busy. And it was a lot of fake it till you make it because... I was doing it just to keep myself busy. 
And then I slowly just, I remember it was like a year and a half. I had this moment where I could feel my nervous system finally decompress from the previous 12 years. Hmm. And it was like this release of just like a breath you've been holding forever, just it's tension that you've been holding forever. And it just kind of, I was finally free of that. Um, But, you know, I say in the chapter that it wasn't so much that I became a new me as I kind of found myself back to myself, you know, and I definitely, I've evolved, but especially when you have little babies, it's just, and you're, you have babies, you're a partner, you are building a career, all that stuff, just you get, you, you can start to drown. You know, I used to always think I was treading water. I felt like I was treading water constantly, just treading water. And I think all moms feel like that to some degree, like you're just juggling all this stuff and you're chopping like every thing because you just cannot do it all. And you just feel so incompetent and inferior because you're not excelling at any of this crap you're trying to do. And I realized after I left that I I wasn't treading water, I was drowning. Mm -hmm. And I, I was gone. I was so far gone from myself. And, you know, I kind of had to come back to life. And not everybody's in that that space when they leave. Sometimes marriage, sometimes divorce is like unexpected to people. There's infidelity. There's people, it's not their choice to leave or whatever, but you can grow from it if you're willing to and not dwell in the past. There's going to be some dwelling in the past, but like eventually you're just going to get so far from it that it takes a lot of effort to reach back and pull the past into the present. And eventually it's just not even worth the effort to do that. So for me, a big thing was um, I started boxing. Hmm. I I needed to move. I needed to do something physical. I had lost a ton of weight. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. It's just, I was in a bad place. And my friend was like, you, you gotta move. You gotta do something. And running was okay, but it just, it, it's not, I didn't really need to be in my head as much as I am when I run, I needed to just kind of not be in my head. So someone recommended boxing. So I got this little setup in my garage and my therapist said, there's actually, I don't know, like there's, there's something in bilateral movement. She does therapy stuff with um, PTSD guys on their bikes. Like there's a bilateral movement thing that can kind of rewire your brain. And I was like, yeah, I think I also just really like hitting the crap out of stuff. So, I mean, sure, but we'll go with bilateral movement. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than like, I just have so much rage that I'm just like beating crap out of this thing. But it it gave me something to focus on while I was working out. I get out all this aggression and I felt so much better afterwards. And I think it just, it kind of got me over this hump of the rage portion. Of, and they have little trackers and now when I go against myself from two years ago, like different workouts that I did, I'm not getting anywhere near the punch velocity. Cause I'm like, eh, I just don't have the rage anymore. I still like the workout, but I'm not punching nearly as hard. And I don't know. I just, I, I came back to life and I think that, you know, it sucks to not be with your kids all the time, but if you can use that time, you're not with them to really do all this, you know, BS self-care that everybody's always talking about, but actually do it, you know, and whatever that looks like for you, if that looks like going out with your friends, if that looks like sitting and reading a book in silence, if that looks like, you know, punching something really hard, I don't know, some people like to punch, just something for you that you might have not been doing for a very long time. And you will find that you become such a better version of yourself for those children than you ever were when you were with them hundred percent of the time. You know, I just, I came back to life and they can see that, you know, every once I was had allergies and I was sitting at the table rubbing my eyes and my kid was like, are you, are, are you okay? Are you tired? And I was like, no, I just have allergies. And then I realized I used to do that all the time when I was in my marriage still, I'd just sit there and like, just at dinner, just kind of like rubbing my eyes and my head. Cause I was just like trying to get to another place or just be just kind of calming myself. And that's just not our reality anymore. You know, it's, it's a good life. And I don't know, there's, 
there's a better version of yourself waiting if you just keep moving and keep going and keep believing that it's it's going to be okay and do you think like moving away from that idea of failure that somehow you know people who divorce somehow they failed as opposed to realizing the success of being able to say this isn't right for me that's huge you know they always say things like you know, why are people getting, like, when our grandparents, our grandparents didn't get divorced, like, your grandparents were not happy, they were just miserable too, but they all just stuck around, like, it's just, we are now at a point where we're evolved enough to know that it doesn't have to be unhappy, life doesn't have to just be a slog, it doesn't mean the life's going to be, like, a party every day with high fives and, like, confetti that's unrealistic too but life does not need to feel like a slug and so yeah I'm not big at losing and failure is definitely a big thing you feel it's not to me it wasn't so much a failure relationship I felt like I failed my kids like mm-hmm. I brought them into the situation that then now they have a broken home quote unquote right and that feels like a failure but then at the same time I think I would feel like more of a failure if I kept them in a home that just because we're in two homes doesn't make it any more broken than when we were in one home, all dysfunctional, you know, like just because we're all in pictures together and smiling doesn't mean we're actually happy. It sounds the opposite. It sounds like instead of having one broken home, you have two complete ones where your kids are happy where they are. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a different time. So it's not that big a deal these days to be divorced. I mean, it doesn't have this like the stigma that it had when I was a kid, where it's like, oh, the divorced family. Like now it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> you know, it just, it, yeah, you have to, and also who cares? Like you have to get to the point where you just can't care what anybody else thinks about your life and your happiness because that's futile. And who like, and you can't compare your reality to someone else's curated version of reality on Instagram or whatever. That's, that's pointless too. I remember I would go, I'm going through photos and I found that other photo. I see all these happy, like family photos and almost everyone I can remember something that happened like right before, right after that was like an argument or something, you know, like even Mm -hmm. these family vacations and that kind of stuff. And now I look at our photos and I'm like, that was it. We're just happy. You know, like yeah. we're just content and happy is even an altered state. We're content, we're at ease, we're peaceful, we're we're still and things are good. Yeah. So with that in mind, we we talk about the I am approach, the idea that we're all doing the best we can. We don't like it, we can change it. Um we're influenced by four domains. The home domain, social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. And because these four domains interact, the first truth of the I am, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. Dawn, given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? I I just spoke about all the stuff that I did, like the kind of dancing that I did after my divorce to kind of keep myself busy. One of the biggest things I did that actually helped move me into a new phase was I stopped trying to keep myself busy Mm. where I moved. I was in, I moved back into my house. It was our family home. It's a big house. And I'd never been in this home without the kids. And so when they weren't here, the silence was like, soul crushing it's like talking to the dog talking to the cat and it was really hard to be in this house without my babies so much so that I very rarely was in this house without my babies because I was like I gotta gotta get out of here and then I was like no you need to sit and be still and feel all this stuff and cry about it talk to the cat about it and that helped me kind of move to the next stage it was like the ultimate grief right just acceptance the acceptance instead of dancing around it and trying to avoid it so I think the little thing you can do sometimes is nothing is 
stop dancing, stop avoiding whatever it is you're trying to avoid with all this dancing, be still, like be with your own thoughts and don't be scared of them. And it's okay if they're sad, like it's okay if you need to cry or hit a punching bag, but just, I wasn't still in, in my partnership. That was a big thing. We just kept doing bigger and bigger stuff. We were not still people. So, so I think doing nothing, there's value in that. Yeah. So be still, good small change. The second truth of the I am, everybody has one. Everybody has an IC domain interested in what you think or feel about them. And you know, that affects the biological domain because it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you are part of someone's home and social domain. And so the second truth of the I am, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dawn, Bass, what kind of influence do you want to be? Um, I One of the, my favorite things that I've done in my life is I, I started a nonprofit and I've always done volunteer work since I was in my 20s. And then I found that I'm really good at leading people on volunteer projects. And, um, and I started the nonprofit because a lot of people want to do good work. They just kind of need someone to, to sh show them where to go and what to do. And then it's addictive. So I always like to organize volunteer charity work because um, the people that it brings out are always amazing and surprising. And then I think they catch the bug and they, they keep doing it in their own lives. So that's the kind of influence I, I like to, to do. It's one of the things that I, I really enjoy. And then it's fun to see other people enjoy it as well. Yeah. Great. So I appreciate you being on the show. How do people get the book? Um, It's all over the place, but my website is dawndeas.com. My last name is D-A-I-S.com. And um, there's links there or it's Amazon or whatever. Super. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Despite all the potential beeps that we may have to do <laughs> on live, it's okay. It's this will cool. be a fun one. It'll be a fun one. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And uh, welcome back anytime. We'll get a sense that there may be another few books in you. So bring them on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Thank Good night, you, everybody. Alan. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>